Good morning, Minecrafters, and welcome to episode 22, Living in Greatness. So last week, we uh, continued our conversation on Hardwired for Happiness and how important it is to actually sit with this feeling of goodness, taking in the good and allowing us to sit with it. And it's interesting because how the universe works, because right in the middle of these you know, uh, the third kind of little mini uh, episodes of this uh, Hardwired for Happiness. And I had, in one day, I had three very nice things said to me about a, a newsletter. It's called, my well, my Mindful Wednesday newsletter that I put out. And three of my colleagues, just one after the other, sent me emails that were very nice, just kind of short, like a sentence. Wow, yeah, this is what I needed to hear today or whatever. And I you know, in order to, as they say, talk the talk and walk the walk, I closed my eyes, sat on the couch, the wind going here, right, the breeze, summer breeze right through, nobody around, to just relive the kind feedback. It was just a sentence or two. It was really, it was just so nice that they took the time to say, hey, this is working for me. This is nice. This is just what I needed to hear today. And so it was for me, it was a practice what you preach, I'm not into preaching. It was just kind of a cliche. But walking the walk or talking the talk, and and how good I felt after mindfully sitting with um this the you know, three or four sentences written by my colleagues and how how good that feels. We're actually remember, we're rewiring the neurons, neurons that wire together, fire together. And this week we're going to um, expand and talk about how we can get better with noticing positive experiences. Sometimes they get right by people. And then also how to create new ones, create entirely new positive experiences. Then by making this habitual, we can make the big leap, the very big leap into this place and this experience of living from our own greatness. So I'm sure those of you out there listening have heard that age-old cliche of our perception is our reality. Well, yeah, cliches come from someplace, and there's often some truth in there. So really it does come right down to how we perceive things, and that what we perceive we can perceive in a different way later especially in the summer with the sense of smell. This is super easy with all the fabulous fruits and vegetables in season, the flowers out there that are making many of us sneeze. In fact, I was just in Burlington a couple of weeks ago walking with uh, three of our, two of our daughters and this just very potent, fabulous smell of something growing. Flowers was just so amazing. We actually stopped, backed up to kind of try to stand in that air current again it was kind of as powerful as lilacs, only it wasn't lilacs. It was absolutely delightful. Another way to become uh, aware of uh, something very, very sensory is to listen to music. Um, even if you're not a quote-unquote music person, try to pick out you know the drums, the bass, You know, really, really listen. And obviously this has a whole lot to do with mindfulness. And to become aware of these sensory perceptions on this level is what's going to help lead us to you know, sort of uh, our discussion on on accessing our own greatness later on and, and then residing in there. And remember that the, the sort of mindful exercise or activity that uh, Rick Hansen 
has given us to work with, heal, have, enrich, absorb, and then link, this is what we can do with our sensory perception activity. Have it. we got to find it first. You know, smell that orange or um, whatever fabulous fruits are out there right now. Strawberry is very potent. And then enrich it means stay with it. So this is the mindfulness piece. Instead of letting our, you know, letting, allowing ourselves to kind of leave that scent of the orange or the strawberry or whatever, to really stay with it and really just close your eyes and just take it all in. And then, you know, just continue to absorb it, absorb that strawberry or, or uh, I, I love a good burger and also a good steak. I'm definitely a carnivore. Smell that, that grill, that summer grill smell is the best. It's the best. Absorb it. Stay with it. Smell that good steak or burger. Or if you're a vegetarian that grosses you out, then find something, some other very savory food and take it in. And then we're going to, then we link uh, the positive with um, our other positive experiences. You know, especially when we're talking about simple pleasures. It's also important to realize that seeking pleasure, you know, historically, going back to, you know, the ancient Greeks and Romans and things like that, you know, or hedonism, as we say. Uh, the seeking out pleasure and avoiding pain kind of thing. Pleasure's gotten a bad rap, really, because these simple pleasures of smelling, you know, st- like strawberry shortcake, per se. One of my kids is a big fan of strawberry shortcake. And these delightful, um, you know, savory foods of the summer. Pleasure also is a really good stress reducer. It's not all bad. We can, of course, <clears throat> it's important to notice what our emotions are. Many people um, aren't aware of the difference between feelings and mood, and our emotional self experiences both. So feelings are more specific, usually kind of, kind of whip right through, kind of brief, and are typically caused by an inner or outer stimulus, as, as Rick would say, actually. So in other words, example, sadness is a feeling while depression is a mood which is why when someone is, is labeled with major depressive disorder, I mean, no, I don't do the word disorder, okay, just for the sake of explaining, this is the, that falls in the category of mood disorder, or I'd rather say differences in wiring. Then this sort of basic sense of contentment, you know, in life in general, then foster feelings of continued gratitude and joy. And it's also sort of important to realize that we can kind of cultivate this, right? Which is where our our autonomy and our control kind of lands into place here because feelings can sort of become cultivated into moods. And a positive example would be uh, when we're taking in these feelings of goodness and, and feeling glad and happy and, again, practicing gratitude, cultivating gratitude, these tend to then develop into a longer lasting mood of contentment. Now, it certainly doesn't mean that, you know, you're, you know, you've gone to this better place, you're feeling grateful and, and uh, joyful most of the time, then, you know, life throws a curveball, which it will, right? Eventually, it's kind of like it's, you've built a solid foundation, kind of like the three little pigs, and you're the pig that built the brick house, right? So the storm comes and you're good, you're safe, because, you, you know, you, you built it from the ground up, it's, it's solid and strong. Doesn't mean the storm doesn't come. Doesn't mean, you know, you don't lose a brick on the house and you have to fix it. But you're in a far, far, far better place to weather a storm than someone who has not worked on building the solid foundation 
for their mood. These desires, these authentic desires, lead us down the path of, of authenticity and you know fulfilling all who we were meant to be. So when we're feeling you know, experiencing these positive desires, we really want to notice them. We want to notice them, take them in, and just harness it, absolutely harness it. So this noticing we're talking about, taking in, becoming more aware of ourselves at all these different levels, because we as human beings are complex, right? We're complicated. Noticing what our desires are is important too. And much like pleasure, desire has gotten a bad rap too, you know, especially in this country because, and I have to be careful here because I, I agree with that to a point too, this disease of wanting um, can lead us to a not so good place either. So talking about balance, our authentic desires, our authentic desires, you know, to, to use our character strengths, which actually we'll get into in another episode, to use our genuine, you know, what really attracts us, what makes our hearts sing, to, the, to use those gifts to kind of land in this place of our desires. That's kind of what we're talking about. And then we really want to be aware of our actions and, you know, what, we, what we're saying, what we're doing. Do they match up? Do the insides match the outsides? So an example, um, and, we're, of course, we're all, we're, most of us are, um, have something we're unaware of that we're, that we're doing. And, of course, partners are very good at reminding us of that for sure. An example would be even um, active listening. Maybe we are – we think we're way more – you know, we're a better listener than we really are. And then when a family member – you know, calls us out on, you know, interrupting them three times. And we're like, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not the active listener I thought I was. And I like to, to improve that. Maybe you'd like to learn to become more assertive and speak up when um, you feel violated. I use that term um, in a lighter way. It can be obviously expect them to violate, but let's just say it's somebody just step on your toes in a conversation and to be assertive and say, no, 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 that's really not what I meant. So, the, so as far as the stage of awareness, before we kind of move forward towards the greatness piece, okay, the stage of awareness begins with getting on every level that thoughts are first and everything else follows. And um, Rick Hansen actually gives us a, um, a nice example of this in his book, Hardwired for Happiness. And he says that each time we actually kind of stop and take notice of any of these good experiences, you know, the sensory stuff, we talked about the music, it's a break from the daily race. It's this little pit stop for respite and refueling. And then he talks about um, what, uh, one, of it, uh, one of his um, clients. He says, it was dark when I awoke, and I listened as the magical sound of light rain on the skylights warmly snuggled under my comforter. I felt safe and loved and soaked in this feeling soaked in this feeling after getting up the dogs and I headed to the dog park which we had to ourselves in the early morning it was quiet no birds chirping very few cars going by and a sense of peace and solitude in a busy city I felt so grateful I closed my eyes breathed deeply and gave myself to it I love that and gave myself to it so remember that we're now saving the best for last because it's really first, right? Thoughts. Our thoughts come first, feelings come second, and actions or behaviors third. Even if they seem like they're happening simultaneously, which confuses my students sometimes because they, 
you'll think of automatic behaviors such as lock checking or, you know, whatever like that. And you think about it. So I'll say, oh, um, you know, Mary, let's just say we were to remove Mary's brain with kindness and anesthesia and put her brain up in a, in a jar of formaldehyde up on the shelf. What would Mary be feeling or doing? And the answer is nothing because her brain is on the shelf in a jar of formaldehyde. Thoughts come first, feelings come second, and actions or behaviors are third. I love that. Gave myself to it. It's like total immersion in now, in our nowness. Because after all, it's not a dress rehearsal. This is the big game, right? Immersed in the now. And then Rick says to take it a step further, okay, and actually tune into what's in the background of our awareness. He said it's like it's like eating a meal. Even though most of your attention is on the food, you're also conscious of other sounds and the room as a whole. So in the same way, you know, there's this pleasant background sense of relaxation in your body or an attitude maybe of curiosity or hopefulness floating around in the back of your mind. So kind of take this in. Take in what's going on in the background of our awareness. Okay, and then here's the sauce on the Sunday, right? Because he says, further, since neural encoding increases what's under the spotlight of attention, moving an aspect of your experience to the front of your awareness heightens its transfer into the brain structure. Okay, so this is another um, sort of avenue for becoming the boss of our brain, which is very important. So Rick says, once you find something positive in the background of your awareness, focus on it to bring it to the foreground. Learn what it's like to shift things from the back to the front of your mind. Since there's usually something pleasant or beneficial somewhere in your awareness, getting more skillful, you know I love that word, getting more skillful with this shifting creates many opportunities to have the core of your experience at any moment, what's in the foreground, to be positive. And this is the goal. The goal is to rewire the brain, rewire the neurons, so that they're firing together to elicit positive thoughts, which lead to positive feelings, which leads to positive actions and behavior. So inviting you know, these, these wonderful sensory experiences, our authentic desires, our authentic feelings, our authentic experiences in wrapping around those and really, really sitting with them mindfully and absorbing these is what Marty Seligman would refer to as savoring, savoring life, savoring the people in our lives, savoring these experiences and these high, high quality, um, you know, memories that we have, this is savoring. And as I sit here with a sinus infection, so if I seem a little scattered, this is why. Um, Right now I'm savoring a delightful hot tea, which right now I can't think of anything more in this whole world I would want. It's just hitting every pleasure point in my entire body, and it's so soothing. And Rick says, you know, once we kind of get good at this, once we kind of get good at kind of harnessing these good experiences and bringing them in into the living room, as I say to my kids and my students into the living room, internalizing these, it's a very natural human tendency to want to keep hold of it. And then he says, but if you do this, you're no longer flowing with the experience and are instead standing apart from it, trying to freeze and possess it. There's no more good experience. He said, it's like listening to music. 
If you hear a great tune and try to replay it in your mind while the song continues, the enjoyment goes out of the music. Therefore, the art is to like the good experience without wanting it. I really think this is such an important conversation to have, you know, uh, in this day and age anyway, because of where, you know, larger due to technology and even more specifically social media and, you know, the amount of time spent on all this, you know, it's instant, instant, instant. The windows pop up. We're trying to do something even for work and a pop-up comes from, you know, something to, to, to buy or like in the winter, right after the holidays, it's all the cruise advertisements it's really kind of setting us up for this disease of wanting. And of course, disease, the word dis-ease, right? Not at ease because we're seeing everything out there that we want or want and can't have, which makes it you know even more challenging. And it's really pulling us away from authenticity. It's pulling us away from authenticity with a strong, big rope. So Rick kind of clarifies by saying, Liking involves enjoying, appreciating, and relishing. By wanting, he says, I mean drivenness, insistence, compulsion, pressure, grasping after, getting attached to, craving, and clinging. In your subcortex and brainstem, connected but separate circuits handle liking and wanting. This means you can like something without wanting it, such as enjoying the taste of ice cream, while still turning down a second serving after a big meal. People can also want something without liking it, such as the ones um, he says he's seen mechanically pulling the slot machine handle over and over in a casino, hardly seeming to care if it pays off. He goes on to say that liking what's pleasant is natural and there's no harm in it. The trouble comes when we want things that aren't good for us or others, such as wanting to drink too much or to win arguments at any cost. That's a common one right there. Um, Wow, that's a common one. Some people have such a need to be right. I don't know if you've ever met those people, you know, but just it's it's the most important thing. It's it's such an ego-driven, I should rephrase, a dysfunctional egoic thought process um, where people just almost can't stop themselves sometimes. And he says, uh, trouble also comes when what we want is good, but how we try to get it is bad. And his example is when he's trying to get to work on time, he often drives too fast to get there. He said, and honestly, I think there's trouble in the sheer experience of wanting itself. Notice what it feels like to want, to have a strong sense of desire, to be driven toward a goal. And then he says, this is, this is great because, wow, it's, it's spot on. He says the Norse root of the word want means lack. Wow, does that say it all? The Norse root of the word want means lack. Wanting is different from inspiration, aspiration, commitment, intention, ambition, or passion. Can you aim high and work hard without getting caught up in drivenness? Based on a deficit or disturbance, wanting activates the remote mode of your brain and feels contracted and stressful. Consider saying, liking without wanting is heaven, while wanting without liking is hell. Wow, that's powerful. So the main takeaway here with liking versus wanting is to, you know, talking about bringing in the good, bringing in the good, allowing the good, which is hard for many people. I explained with you to you last episode, last episode before about it was hard for me to take compliments for a while. I didn't even realize it. I wasn't conscious of this, especially anyone who's been 
you know, mistreated or abused as a child, that can be, it can be very, this whole exercise, everything we're talking about can be very, very difficult. And those neurons are so used to, um, you know, dodging compliments, you know, you know, taking eye contact away when somebody said something nice that we have to really kind of force it for a while, you know, the old fake it till you make it until we get used to um, feeling comfortable with the uncomfortable. So uh, when then the good will become comfortable. So the main takeaway is to enjoy these good experiences and let them flow through you. Let them flow. They feel comfortable and, and great without getting attached to them. And then to pursue good ends with good means without becoming driven about it. When you notice something good in your experience, um, gently encourage it to last. Kind of savor it, like Marty Sogman would say, savor it, without trying to hold on to it. Your brain tends to keep looking for something new to want by repeatedly taking in experiences that you like without tipping into wanting them. You could gradually undo the habit of wanting itself. And that is one happy existence right there. So we're talking about savoring this feeling of happiness, really savoring, kind of like this delightful cup of hot tea that I'm enjoying, you know, simultaneous with, simultaneously with being all of you that's nursing my sinus infection. It's just savoring just describes this experience exactly. Um, we're talking about PERMA, as Marty says, positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning, and accomplishment. It's interesting, too, when Marty talks about savoring, you know, inevitably people ask him about, you know, the relationship of happiness to money and, you know, the economy doing well and things like that. And though there is a relationship, it's it's not an overwhelming one. Typically, the relationship between happiness and, you know, income level and the economy is very basic. You know, so when people are, are, are way underneath, let's say, and an increase in income, you know, brings them up to a more, uh, you know, comfortable place where basic needs are met. Yes. And then after that, typically there's not much of a relationship at all. You know, the more money we make after a certain point just isn't important to us. It does not increase happiness at all. And to savor this positive emotion, to savor this engagement, to savor the meaning that comes from spending time with people we love, savoring these relationships and also the sense of accomplishment of investing time instead of money um, into our lives and the people in them. I was actually just watching something with Marty with savoring and he, it's, he talks about the holidays. He's saying with the economy, you know, was doing really well, right? Now it's not so much with uh, the pandemic situation. And he's talking about people whose you know, retirement or investments or whatever may have gone down 40%. Or on a different level, if somebody, you know, forget retirement and what might seem frivolous to lots of people, just, you know, losing an income. And he talks about, you know, reducing spending by 40%. Whatever it is your loss is, the loss of the job or loss of whatever, you know, financial investments you have. And, and instead, turn that 40% or maybe it's 80% or even 100%, turn that around and that percentage into spending time with the people you love in your life. Okay, so up until now, I've been talking about, you know, taking in positive experiences and harnessing these. And now we're going to talk about creating one. 
And this may be easier said than done. And it, of course, comes back down to or comes over to um, practicing because what we practice, no matter what it is, again, the violin, practicing driving, practicing, you know, cooking, soccer, whatever, whatever we do, whatever we practice, we inevitably get good at. So sometimes we'll call up on an experience just because it feels good. It feels very good. It might have won an, an award or something or uh, had a particularly, you know, fabulous, you know, dinner with a best friend or partner or something like that. And in other times we might call up that experience as an inner strength when we're about to walk into a challenging situation. It doesn't necessarily mean challenging bad. It could be challenging good, you know, about to go speak in front of lots of people, or it could be, that we're about to, you know, confront somebody about something authentic. Maybe we're being mistreated or they, you know, we're harmful in some way and we have to stand up for ourselves. And we call up this experience where we are feeling particularly confident and feeling particularly good about ourselves. So again, this comes back to, you know, learning a skill set. And remember, I'm a huge fan of skills because versus talents. You know, not that it isn't fun, um, you know, to, to be an orchestra composer, to be, you know, Barishnikov, to be, you know, Michael Phelps or, or whomever for a day. Um, I'm a big fan of skills because we can learn these. And that says to me, if it's something I can learn, I can, I can research it, whatever that means. I can learn about it and I can then practice it with consistency and follow through and then become good at it. And to me, has me, that has me feeling better in that moment, just deciding to learn a skill set, even though I haven't even done it yet. Because in that moment, I've made a conscious choice to take control of my life. And for me, that works really, really well. And so so Rick says, whether you're doing it, you know, bringing or uh, creating this positive experience, whether you're doing it simply to feel good or to meet a challenge, being able to self-activate useful states of mind love how he says that to get the song playing that you want on your inner radio station is fundamental to psychological healing, everyday well-being and effectiveness, personal growth and spiritual practice. I love how he says that to get that song playing that we want on our inner radio station. Love that. And you know, nonetheless, Rick says it can be hard at first for many people to call up positive experiences at will, particularly ones that would be helpful in certain situations or for certain needs. For example, if you're feeling stressed, it can take practice to create a sense of relaxation in your body. It's definitely true, right? Because it's counterintuitive. When we're feeling stressed out and anxious, we typically want to dig in with our nails, right? And just dig into it and push it away. And, and then we know how that works, right? Carl Jung has, has said it. Um, resistance you know, that which resists, that, that which we resist will persist, right? Resistance just doesn't get us anywhere. And Rick says, if you've been hurt, it can take a while to remember a friend and feel seen and appreciated. The states of mind that would be most useful for a person are often the hardest to self-generate. This is why it takes conscious choice and follow through, just like when we're trying to you know, um, kind of educate or train a toddler. Remember, the brain is just like a toddler. It takes lots and lots of reminding, consistency, and follow-through. He said, but with practice, you will get better at this. Truth right there, right? 
As you repeatedly internalize the experiences you create, you will begin to emerge naturally um, with these inner strengths when life, you know, throws us a curveball. And I must say, kind of do a disclaimer here, it's not, we are not changing history here because that's, we kind of fall into like, you know, a pathological kind of thing, which is the opposite of what we're trying to achieve here. We're about the genuine and the authentic. So it's about, it's not about changing the facts. It's about seeking out good ones, harnessing these and savoring these. So I'm going to share with with you uh, one of my, my biggest my biggest uh, experience actually that I and I save it. It's kind of like saving the big guns. You don't want to diminish the power. So this experience, we I have to give you a little backstory. So there is we have a thing at Champlain where I teach where there's an end of the year celebration where it's it's a big lunch and it's just all good stuff. There are lots of awards. It's who's retiring. There's all kinds of it's faculty and staff, all grown ups who have just done amazing things and how we've done as a whole, as a college and, um, and the student, there's a student acapella group that comes out and sings. I mean, it's just the best, best, uh, best day at the end of the year. And there are a couple of big awards given out and there, there's only, um, one of them. And so there was the, so I was sitting there watching, you know, looking up the stage, having no idea. I was just about to actually head out to the bathroom and somebody snagged me. Um, and they were about to call up the, the teaching and excellence award for the year. And all of a sudden I got looks, I'm like, what's all this about? So long story short, they, I was presented with the teaching and excellence award for the year. And I, I, it's still surreal to this day. And everybody in the gym, it was in the gym. It was like, I don't, you know, I don't even know how many people, most of my colleagues, huge amount of people. And everybody stood up. It was surreal I, and clapping. And I, I, to this day, I almost like dissociated in a good way. It was just amazing. I looked around at, at my, my, my own colleagues in my own, in my own division who were also friends and we hang out and they were just, they were the smiles on their, on their faces. And one of my, one of my friends slash colleagues, Jam, had snuck around to, to all my colleagues getting their nominations for this for months. It took her to, to, you know, put this whole thing together. And when I think back at it, I'm getting a chills. I'm even saying this on a podcast. The fact that all of that effort went in on behalf of me is still so overwhelming when I think about it. And when I picture them all standing up, all standing up for me, I just, it's, it actually overwhelms my spirit with such love and kindness. I, I just, so I hang on to that feeling and without exaggeration outside of my wedding to my beloved and the birth of our five amazing young adult children without question. That was the single best day of my life. And of course, uh, recognition and appreciation as far as a healing process can be extraordinarily powerful. Um, and I'm thinking of, uh, John Nash. Uh, we discuss him in my cognitive psychology class he was a was famous for his game theory and a Nobel Peace Prize winner, obviously a genius. And uh, he sort of a, he acquired schizophrenia late in the game for a male because he was, you know, thirty ish, and you typically it's you know the eighteen to twenty range with with males. Way late in the game, you know, he'd gone to Princeton, absolute absolute genius, and he completely, you know, you know, fell to this, you know, uh, 
extreme challenge of, you know, hearing voices in his head. And he, he kind of went off the map for a while. Um, people lost track of him. He was homeless. He was all over the place. And, and it was said um, for John Nash, how this type, this recognition was so incredibly healing um, after everything he'd been through, you know, being this, this famous, um, famous, you know, genius. And then having, you know, the whole world kind of know what happened to him, then turning around and acquiring the Nobel or earning the Nobel Peace Prize, that recognition was incredibly healing for him. Um, you know, then back then labeled as crazy. It's not a good word that we use now, but the, here, here he had earned the Nobel Prize for game theory and the Nobel Prize folks who plan it actually had a thought of not including him, even though he would still get the prize, not including him in the actual ceremony where he would receive his prize. And thankfully that was overturned and he was able to receive his own prize. He didn't act quote unquote crazy. He was dressed in, uh, you know, a tuxedo with, with tails, uh, looking very handsome, showed up, did all the ceremonial bowing and all that and, and accepted his prize very, very elegantly and moved on. And certainly though a much different situation, you know, unexpectedly earning and receiving the teaching and excellence award for the college for that year was incredibly healing for me as well. You know, after growing up in, as mentioned, a very addicted and turbulent household. We're talking about, you know, creating positive experiences of the creation process. Rhonda Byrne says that when using the creation process, imagine and feel that you already have what you want and never deviate from that state of being. Why? Because the law of attraction copies whatever you give and you must imagine and feel having it now. And we have another quote from a Nobel Peace Prize or a winning playwright. George Bernard Shaw says, imagination is the beginning of creation. You imagine what you desire, you will what you imagine, and at last you create what you will. We have another person saying the same thing. Henry David Thoreau says, this world is but a canvas to our imagination. This also follows suit, you know, way back in the earlier episodes of this season when we talked about Don Miguel Ruiz and how we, you know, kind of the, you know, the authors of our own books are scripts, right? And that we create, we create our own heaven. We create our own hell. You know, you, as you may guess, I, I read voraciously and I, I, I'm, I'm never, I never cease to be just amazed when so many people from so many different, you know, not just, you know, countries and cultures and different fields and are saying the same thing, you know, just in different ways. It's just, it's just, it's amazing to me. And lately I've been dipping into uh, Wayne Dwyer's change your thoughts, change your life. And he does this using the wisdom of the Tao, which is really kind of cool. And this particular um, excerpt I'm going to read you a little bit from is, is about living from greatness, which is, uh, you know, sort of our, our, our uh, topic of this episode so the 25th verse of the Tao is pretty cool. Here goes. <clears throat> there was something formless and perfect before the universe was born. It is serene, empty, solitary, unchanging, infinite, eternally present. It is the mother of the universe, 
For lack of a better name, I call it the Tao. I call it great. Great is boundless. Boundless is eternally flowing, ever flowing. It is constantly returning. Therefore, the way is great. Heaven is great. Earth is great. People are great. Thus, to know humanity, understand earth. To know earth, understand heaven. To know heaven, understand the way. To know the way, understand the great within yourself. So, more simply put, the message of this verse is that greatness invites you to change the way you live and to see the life you're living change. So, more simply put, the message of this verse is that greatness invites you to change the way you live and to see the life you're living change. So here again, it's amazing that, you know, Wayne Dwyer is saying, you know, nothing different than Rick Hansen was saying and uh, what Rhonda Byrne is saying. And so we can begin to do this by examining our thoughts and ideas. We just said that, like, said this, like, fact check, right? Be cognizant of our feelings and moods, ideas, mostly our thoughts. So we can begin to do this by examining thoughts and ideas and ideas that are inconsistent with the messages we're getting about our own greatness. So Wayne explains further, this is really good. You just got to brace yourselves. Okay. So in particular, watch and listen for the critical comments that originate from your own inner dialogue. When such thoughts emerge in your mind, let them tell you what they want. If you allow those not so great notions to speak, you'll always discover that what they really want is to feel good. Obviously, this is the ego talking, right? Give them the time they need to trust that there's no payoff for their existence, and they will happily merge into the greatness within you. Accessing this quality allows you to participate in the greater whole, where the power of the Tao flows unimpeded by fearful self-judgment. Change the way you live by tapping into this greatness, and the life you're living will literally change. So once again, this message really isn't different. You know, Don Miguel Ruiz, same thing. Eckhart Tolle, same thing. Separating that, you know, ego mind chatter, the monkey mind that's not based in any sort of facts and fact check, and then we can choose. We are in charge. Being the boss of our brain means we can choose what thoughts to keep and what thoughts to discard, right? You know, kind of honing in on those on those positive ones. And so Wayne continues to to explain to us, you are not this body you occupy, which is temporary and on its way back to the nowhere from which it came. You are pure greatness, precisely the very same greatness that creates all life. Keep this thought uppermost in your mind, and you'll attract to yourself these same powers of creation. The right people will appear. The exact events that you desire will transpire. The financing will show up. That's because greatness attracts more of its own self to itself. Just as thoughts of inadequacy act upon a belief that ensures the deficiency will become your reality. Affirm the following to yourself over and over until it becomes your automatic inner response to the world. I come from greatness. I attract greatness. I am greatness. And lastly, you know, Wayne says in addition to trusting in our own greatness, which is huge, especially 
for those of us who may not have been treated so well early on, how important it is to also look for beliefs that contradict your status as being of greatness. This is also what Rhonda Byrne talks about with the law of attraction. The thing is, we're going to attract what we're thinking about, positive, positively or negatively. We're going to attract people that are toxic if we're kind of allowing them to occupy our minds. And the flip side, we're going to attract, we envision, you know, um, a new job, um, going back to school, a partner, you know, a happy life with a partner, redoing part of the house. We attract, you know, kind of envision all this good stuff. Um, good, good stuff, more good stuff is going to come to us because we're rewiring the neurons to go down that path. And this also involves, you know, snapping ourselves out of, you know, the hamster in the wheel kind of lazy mode of the brain because the brain is naturally lazy, naturally wired to wander. So if we are just sort of residing in this automatic pilot, you know, letting whatever experience roll through our head that's not healthy and we are attracting that person or those people back into our lives. So we need to actually, you know, get snap out of lazy mode with the brain and make a choice to, to, to make a deliberate decision to conscious, consciously control our thinking. And remember um, one good trick for that is not today, maybe tomorrow over and over and over again, not today, maybe tomorrow. You know, we need to really be sort of hyper cognizant that like the system one and system two thought process we were talking about last week, that automatic, you know, that's, it's easy. It's easy, right? But to shift into the more conscious, deliberate, slow down thinking of system two, right? From Watson to Sherlock, more observant, more critical, tossing out the facts that don't matter and keeping the ones that do. Okay, so lastly here, and I would, what I'm about to say to you, I think it'd be a great idea if you actually wrote these out and put them someplace way obvious, you know, like on the fridge or um, up at work or on your mirror in the morning, something like that. Um, as Wayne Dwyer says, this is what we should do. We should say the following words and apply them to ourselves. So you're ready? This is your mantra for today and hopefully every day from this day forward. I came from greatness. I must be like what I came from. I will never abandon my belief in my greatness and the greatness of others. By acknowledging this simple truth, by saying these words, and I'm big on the written words, so write them down, put them, again, in the fridge or, you know, someplace where you, you know, where you are going to see them every day, because these words will serve to remind you of the truth of your own greatness. This is Kimberly Quinn signing off from Northern Vermont. Have a mindful day. Yeah. Uh-huh.